The North Carolina Healthcare Association is a proud sponsor of the Do Politics Better podcast. The association is a united voice for hospitals, health systems, and care providers to ensure they can offer high quality, lower cost care to all North Carolinians. Visit nchealthcare.org to learn more about how hospitals and health systems are working to make healthcare easier, more convenient, and with better outcomes. It's the Do Politics Better podcast. I'm Brian Lewis. And I'm Sky David. Here we are in September. Will a budget come next week? I think yes. I want to say yes. It's, uh, I don't know. <laughs> Not for sure. I'll put 20 bucks down, I guess, and say yes. What do you think? I don't know. Classic attorney answers. It depends. <laughs> right. A lot of drama this week as it pertains to the budget, specifically in the House. They came in on Tuesday. By the way, that's the day after Labor Day. I don't think a lot of legislators wanted to make the trip on Tuesday, but they did. And they had a House caucus meeting among Republicans. And it went three hours? Wow. First of all, to set the scene, something I think was interesting about Tuesday, like Brian said, House was in, Senate was not. But on the front lawn of the legislature, there are two protests happening. (laughs) One from the left and one from the right. Classic. The folks on the left were opposing the new elections bill, which there are two elections bills, 747, and that is the bill that Governor Cooper has vetoed and the Senate is waiting to override. And that's about like the process of elections. And then the sister to that bill is Senate Bill 749. And that's really about the structural makeup of county boards of elections and the state board of elections. So that bill was slated to be heard in House Rules on Tuesday afternoon and then it was pulled. Now, on the right, you had the religious folks. Is that fair to say? Yeah, like the North Carolina Family Policy Council, mainly. Opposing casino legislation. As that was going on, legislators are having their own debate behind closed doors. Now, caucus meetings are private meetings. We don't get information coming from legislators. Legislators are sworn to secrecy. It is a cardinal rule not to divulge what happens. But from the media accounts that we got from Speaker Moore and some of the responses and tensions we feel inside the General Assembly among legislators, kind of reading between the lines here, I take it there was no finality on Tuesday. There is no vote count that we know of, but it doesn't seem to look good for casinos at this moment. The question about casinos is, if you put it in the budget, and Senator Berger said today, it's Thursday, without casinos being in the budget, they're not moving forward on their own. So if you put it in the budget, whether members weigh that decision and think to themselves, well, I have all these other projects coming to my district, I'll go ahead and vote for the budget. It's not really a vote against casinos and, you know, someone weighing that in their head or whether they're so passionate about casinos being in the budget, they'll vote against the entire budget. And there's also big ticket items in there that are important to legislators. Teacher pay, state employee pay. These are all things that they want to do. So you're right. Yeah. Just say, 
I held my nose. I voted for the budget because I wanted you to get that pay raise or I wanted to bring this project back to the community. Here's the big question, Scott. It sounds like there are multiple options out there for legislators. One, stick casinos in the budget, ram it through. All you need are 61 votes in the House. You need 26 votes in the Senate. The other option is leave it out of the budget, just pass the budget as we have it, and just deal with casinos at a future date. You're right. We're not going to see a standalone bill, but maybe next session or the session after that. The third option, and this is kind of what is sending a little concern through NC Poll World, and that is to say, you know what? We just won't have a budget this year, and let's just do mini budgets. It's always been kind of a suggestion out there by leadership. I think it's always been veiled as somewhat of a threat. Like, yeah, we can do mini budgets. And we all know what mini budgets mean, right? Mini budgets is just your lean budgets for the various departments. They usually don't have pay raises in them. They don't have expansion projects in them. It's just a baseline of funding that the state needs. And I imagine would be a major disappointment to legislators if we did mini budgets. Another development with this casino talk is that late this morning, CPAC, the Conservative Political Action Committee, tweeted out lots of troubling reports of backroom deals and arm twisting coming out of North Carolina. A full-scale expansion of gaming, including video terminals and new casinos, is being wedged into a budget bill that was supposed to be about tax cuts for the people of the state. Transparency is dying in the darkness. And then... They add a call, and it says, Freedom Caucus members, stand strong and hold the line. And that was reposted by Donald Trump Jr. saying, what's going on in North Carolina? Outrageous. Doesn't the Trump family have a casino up in (laughs) Atlantic City and a hotel out in Las Vegas? But okay, you know, what's interesting about that is this whole in the darkness talking point that we're hearing from CPAC here. It was similar to the in the darkness talking point by Democratic Chair Anderson Clayton about the election bill. I've said it before, oftentimes protesters, whether they're on the right or on the left, they sure do sound the same, not only in their chants, but also in their talking points. After that caucus meeting and after House rules ended on Tuesday, The House ABC committee heard quite a bill, an omnibus ABC bill. I believe we covered it back in June when it was moving its way through the Senate. But this bill would include reinstatement of happy hour specials, allowing the ABC stores to be open on Sundays and some certain holidays, among a lot of other stuff major legislation here. Something I want to talk about that's included in this bill is allowing folks to buy gift cards for ABC stores. (laughs) Nothing (laughs) says, hey, I think you're an alcoholic, like a little (laughs) gift card. (laughs) I think that would be a very popular gift. Wow. (laughs) So while the bill did get a favorable report coming out of the House ABC, it still needs to go to the Finance Committee. And then from there, it goes to House rules. I imagine there will be some fights in those committees. Then it goes to the House floor. If successful on the House floor, which I imagine it will be, it goes back over to the Senate for concurrence. Now, we know that the General Assembly is trying to wrap up this session. They are trying to get the budget done, and then they want to adjourn. 
This seems to be one of those priority bills that they want passed before they go home this long session. As we have been working our way through media folks, we have been wanting to have Danielle Battaglia on the podcast for a while. We were lucky enough that she was in Raleigh from her usual DC beat, and we were able to talk to her. The Do Politics Better podcast is supported by the North Carolina Travel Industry Association. Founded in 1955, NCTIA has a distinguished history of partnering with the North Carolina General Assembly to strengthen and preserve tourism in North Carolina. Visit nctia.travel for more information on how you can support your local tourism destination and the thousands of North Carolina jobs it creates. Danielle Battaglia, welcome to the podcast. Thank you for having me. Start us off by telling us about what your job is now, because you're North Carolina, but not. Yeah, I like to tell people it's the best of both worlds because I grew up in Washington, D.C., well, right outside in Alexandria. And so um, I cover North Carolina politics, but I am the congressional reporter. So I'm based I have a desk at the U.S. Capitol, as pretentious as that sounds. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and so McClatchy has several reporters that have just capital coverage as their basis for reporting. And so I think we've got a Sacramento, rep- we've got two Sacramento reporters, a Kentucky reporter, a Kansas City reporter. And we focus on our delegation at the Capitol and try to focus more on not the news that everybody else is covering at the Capitol, because you can get that everywhere. So we're looking for more of the North Carolina-centric things that you're not seeing on the national market. Is that common among newspapers to send a reporter to cover that state's delegation? I think it's becoming less common. Um, Where we sit in the Capitol is a bunch of regional reporters. But um, I mean, even since I've been there in a year and a half, we're seeing them make cuts where there's less and less of them. Um, So I feel incredibly privileged to have the opportunity. And the reason I say it's the best of both worlds is like having grown up there, it's like my hometown, but also I get to be in like North Carolina, which is like, North Carolina has my heart. I've been here since I was 18. And so like when they approached me for the job, I was like, yeah, that sounds, that sounds cool. I can go home, I can be with my family, but I also get to cover North Carolina. Talk to us about growing up in D.C. It's not a town that uh, has a lot of homegrown folks, no. right? Right. So talk no. to us about growing up there. It's interesting to grow up there. So I'm originally from Los Angeles, actually. So I was born in Los Angeles, lived there till I was six, moved to D.C. My family is not in politics, so we're a weird species there. And it's it's interesting. I'm really glad I grew up there because there's so much culture and so much um, history that I love. But at the same time, there's so many military bases that my friends were constantly moving in and out. So that was something that I don't think people realize. People will be like, are you going back home and seeing all your friends? And like, because I went to a small private Lutheran school, I am still connected to that church. And like some of the people I grew up with are still there. But most of my friends are like all over the world now. And so that's kind of weird because you don't have that. Like one thing I love about North Carolina is that you guys like you're here and you're based here and like all your family and friends are all in the same community so like even if you move to raleigh from like rockingham county when you go back home you know everybody Mm -hmm. you had to have 
had politics seeping in. Sounds like your parents, not so much, but were you following politics as you grew up? I hated politics growing up. I hated it. I wanted nothing to do with it. And that's why my parents find it hilarious. I'm in this job. The two things I always said I wouldn't do was politics and news. (laughs) And I think that's because, uh, and I'm going to date myself here, but, um, you know, like I was coming up while Bill Clinton was having scandals and, um, oh, why can't I think the guy's name that had the you know, chase in California that like should become OJ. Yes. Like this was, you forgot OJ. I know. I don't know why I woke up at five forty-five and drove to Raleigh. Okay. All right. uh, so OJ Simpson, Bill Clinton, like those were what was capturing the news and preempting full house, which is what I wanted to be watching. No scandals with full house and either. No. And I was like, this is ridiculous. Like, and like, it's all you hear up there is like politics. So I was like, yeah, I'm going to North Carolina. I knew there was like film incentives here. I thought I'd get into the film industry and be a producer or an actress. And then I went to Lenore Ryan and got into their journalism program and fell in love. So when you went to Lenore Ryan, what got you into journalism to start? So Lenore Ryan has the smallest communications program, not to like bash on them, love the school. They have great programs you big hickory fan uh i love hickory um (laughs) i think lenore ryan's a school that like has very specific programs so like nursing's great music's great basketball team i think is great it was when i was there wait Um, great you know great for lenore ryan (laughs) lenore ryan's gonna hate me after this (laughs) um and so anyways communication's pretty small and so we had to take Like, if you were in the film program, you also had to take journalism classes. You also had to take PR classes. And so I was doing journalism with film and very luckily was with Professor, actually he's Dr. Patrick McConnell, who just like took me under his wings and showed me the ropes of journalism and I fell in love with it. And then at the same time, I was working um, with our film department doing like PR work. And Gary Bartholomew, who had worked at WBTV, had told me, like, you've got an eye for news. You should really think about going into this. He got me an internship at the TV station. And, like, I realized that's where my heart was. How was life in Hickory, having grown up in D.C.? I thought that was culture shock to me. I thought it was such a tiny town. And then I moved to Reedsville and realized how wrong I was. Mm -hmm. So, like... Hickory's really big. Yeah, it is. <laughs> it, it's really big. Compared to Reedsville. It has the largest Martin Luther statue in America, but the second largest in the world. Wow. Yeah. Okay. Is Lenore Ryan a Lutheran school? <laughs> it is a Lutheran school. Wow. On message there. Yeah. My mom was a Lutheran school teacher, and she showed me the school, and I think it just kept going. You graduate from Lenore Ryan, and that takes you to Rockingham County? I graduated at a terrible time to graduate, so there was like probably six to eight months that I couldn't find a job. I applied. I stopped counting at 82 jobs that I had applied to. And then finally, I think I got like two or three offers on the same week. And I had already accepted the Reedsville Review, which is now Rockingham now in Rockingham County. Part of the news and record? Uh, Yes, they became it. They weren't at the time. So it was originally Media General, and I think news and record was Landmark. They both ended up BH Media, which is now Lee Enterprise. Okay. What year are we talking about? 2011. So you're covering Rockingham County at a time when Senator Phil Berger is elevating to the Senate pro tem position. Which is weird because I didn't realize like that was going on at the same time. Like I knew he was important to North Carolina politics. I was very much in like crime courts 
Every now and then we dabbled with state politics because of who he was, but I didn't realize we were coming up sort of at the same, coming up at the same time, talking about the Senate president pro time is not the same at all, <laughs> but like we were kind of coming up at the same together. time. Yeah. Your careers have, have elevated together. I'm sure together. he sees it that way. <laughs> <laughs> so what parlayed you into politics? I would say the 2014 election when his son ran, just the ugliness of politics in that particular election was really in my face. I really saw it and I was like, you know, I think politics is where I need to go. I've been covering crime and court so long. Crime and courts takes a lot out of you. And I had done it for like a really long time. Mm -hmm. And yeah, so I started looking at politics. I don't think I was in it full time until I got to News and Observer, but it was something like I kept going back and forth and from crime to politics and News and Record kept letting me play around in it. So it was interesting. So we're talking about Phil Berger Jr., who's now in the Supreme Court, yeah. versus Mark Walker at the yeah. time running for that congressional seat yes. in which Walker prevailed in the primary, yes. goes on to run for Congress, then goes on to get redrawn out of that district. Yes. Let's get back to your timeline. So you go okay. from the Reedsville <laughs> Review to the News and Record, from there to the News and Observer. Yes. When did the transition happen where you're covering politics? completely completely when I joined the News and Observer okay yeah all right and what year was that so so I joined on New Year's Eve of 2020 so going into 2020 oh yeah so right before the pandemic hit. fun time to be a reporter that was great yeah (laughs) Uh, talk us through that uh the transition uh, into covering I imagine state politics at this point yeah Yeah, I'm state it was interesting I will say um I did not know I was going to join the News and Observer had no idea Like I hadn't even applied. I had moved apartments in Greensboro. And the day I moved, Colin Campbell reached out and said, do you want to work here? And I was like, yes, I do. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And uh, so I think two weeks later, I was moving out of that apartment. That was a nightmare (laughs) of a situation to explain to the management. Um, And then I moved to Raleigh and uh, it was good. It was, I mean, I learned so much like Colin Campbell, Don Vaughn, like they took me under the wing, taught me a lot about like what goes on at the General Assembly. It was very interesting because it was during the pandemic. So like, hey, welcome to the General Assembly. Oh, by the way, we're shutting down. Um, So I think I had like two months before everything closed. And then we're trying to figure out how to cover it in a pandemic. I think like one of my strengths as a reporter is source building. And I'm trying to figure out how to do that when I can't be with people. Right. And that's a whole different ball game. It was hard for us during the pandemic because I think like reporters, don't you find the best conversations happen face to face when you can look them in the eye yeah. and you, it's kind of hazy, right? Yes. When you're on telephone or email. I hate email. I don't understand why a reporter would first go to email. I think mm-hmm. like phone calls are the best if we're not face to face. Right. I'm sorry to any reporter that's emailing i get it yeah i totally get it i think a lot like tone inflection facial expressions tell you a lot so with the pandemic and you're trying to build those sources how would you go about calling someone and being like i'm danielle battaglia and they'd be like yeah i don't i've never heard of you i don't think i cared but that's kind of my personality (laughs) i'm just like hey i'm danielle we're gonna talk people say i'm annoyingly easy to talk to and so the Tell me too much. Good trait for a reporter. <laughs> <laughs> so you're covering the congressional delegation 
now. By the way, we should point out you have a couple members up there, a few members who served in the General Assembly yeah. who are now in Congress. That was interesting. They followed me. Yeah? I had like five of them come up with me and I was like, what are you doing? Oh, really? Okay. <laughs> yeah. All right. Do you miss state politics? I do miss state politics. It's very interesting to be at the U.S. Capitol. It's a, a whole different type of reporting. I think Tom Tillis is probably, Senator Tillis, sorry, is the one that I probably uh, chase around the most. And it is literally chasing. And let me back up and say the reason I'm covering him the most is he's a senator. The Senate gets more done. He's going to talk more than Senator Butt is. So between the two, he's easier to get in the hallways. Senator Tillis, to get him, you meet him at the train. That like There's an underground train at the Capitol. So you meet him at the train. We walk through this little like corridor. We go up an escalator. If he's nice, which he usually is. Actually, I don't think he's ever not been nice to me. Um, He lets you on the senator only elevator and you go up to the second floor, which is where he goes into the Senate floor. That's all the time I can interview him Hmm. because his schedule is so busy and it's like chasing them. You've got to chase them around the Capitol. And it's not like in the North Carolina Capitol. Like it's a You've got 30 seconds to ask a question and there's a hundred other reporters chasing him too. And they will interrupt you and not care. Right. It gets, it's chaotic. At the General Assembly, it's a matter of just catching a representative in the hallway. Maybe the speaker and the pro tem are hard to get, but. I never really had problems getting them. Like they're accessible. You can find them. They will talk. This is like a whole different ballgame. I think Representative Jackson got a lot of crap for a comment he made in the press and I understand the crap he got, but also understood where he was coming from because he's like, they're like, what's different between the state Senate and the U.S. House? And he was like, there's 100 reporters waiting for you. And he's not kidding. Like when you're outside the house, we're waiting by the elevator for you to get off. And there's 100 reporters and we're pouncing over each other trying to get to the representative we need because you've got those like 30 seconds to catch them. Yeah, some of the detraction he got was because he really loves 100 reporters. Yeah, I got that. <laughs> I knew why he was getting the attention he was on that comment. But I, I thought it was funny because I knew where he was coming from. It is a whole different experience up there. But you like it. I do. I enjoy it a lot. It's, it's completely different, but it's so enjoyable. And you're in the U.S. Capitol, which is so full of history, which I've always loved. I imagine our delegation, 16 of them. Mm-hmm. They know you're the hometown reporter. Does that give you a leg up over, say, Mm -hmm. MSNBC? Or does MSNBC, because it's CNN or Fox News or whatever the market is, it's a wider audience. But it seems like they'd want to take care of the hometown reporter. It depends on the day, the topic, what's going on. Um, I will say, Representative McHenry, when we were going through the Speaker McCarthy vote after vote after vote, I had sent, you can send a slip into the floor to be like, hey, can you come out and talk to me? So I sent a slip in. He comes out. Everybody comes to pounce on him. And he's like, this is my hometown paper. Back off. Which I really appreciated. Yeah. But then I sent a slip in not long ago for something else that was going on that was hectic. And I asked him a question. He's like, you know what? There's like 100 reporters around you who need like national stuff. And you're asking local. Let me take care of them and I'll get back to you. Nice. Which he did. He got back to me. I chased him around the Capitol all day. But I think he was generally going to call me back if I didn't. And I'm sorry to bombard you with comparison questions, but I know our listeners will have these questions as well. So I'm trying to think of our listeners here. Okay. Um, (laughs) The General Assembly Capitol Press Corps has floor 
access. Yes. So they can be on the House or Senate floor. You can run video. You have special seating and committees. Doesn't sound like that's nope. the... No. I would love it. Yeah. So we have gallery access. We are in a balcony. So when you see um, Speaker McCarthy, there's a clock over his head. We're above him. Okay. Um, I don't know if you can see us or not on C-SPAN. No. But um, we're above him. It's really bad view. Like, it's not great. Uh, one thing that we saw during the McCarthy vote is there were no rules at the time. So the C-SPAN cameras were roaming. And that's how you got uh, Representative Hudson catching the guy by his mouth. I forget who it was. Yeah. But, um, the takedown. But, like, if you saw it from the, yeah, <laughs> if you saw it from the gallery, you couldn't have seen it. Oh. So if those cameras weren't there that day, like, no one would have known that happened. Um, and that can be a little frustrating, but, um, I mean, it's nice to have the access to the balcony. I'm glad we have that. It is hard being News and Observer and Charlotte Observer and, um, being one person as opposed to CNN, who's got a hundred people. So like if I'm in the balcony and I need to ask them a question, I have to run down like tons of flights of stairs to go get them and they've disappeared by then. So I have to be really strategic about where I am at all times. Kind of going off of that, it must be hard, the competitive nature of reporting in a place like the Capitol. Can you talk about that a little bit? It's definitely competitive for the national news and it's competitive for us too. I think the thing that we struggle with as regional reporters is like, you know, everybody right now is covering Mark Meadows being arrested today. Like that's happening right now. So that's why that's top of mind for me. Um, But like everyone's covering that. And so even though he's North Carolina, I feel like I should be covering it. But we know like everybody else has that story. So sometimes it's, do we sit back and like grab wire or do we go ahead and cover it in our own way? So I think our competitiveness is like what is specific to North Carolina that you can't get anywhere else. My only competition up there that's true competition would be Ruben Jones with Spectrum News, Mm -hmm. who is great. And I feel like we don't really compete because he's visual and I'm print. And so most of the time we are completely different. Every now and then we uh, are trying to get the same story and that's fun. Mm-hmm. I do like competition. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I follow you on Twitter and you're one of the first reporters I check in with in the morning on Twitter. Thank you. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you're everywhere, it seems. I don't know where you'll be when I wake up. Sometimes. do I. Yeah, all right, right. But uh, you're going to have to answer this question and that yes. is what is a day in the life of you as a capital reporter like, because sometimes you're in your apartment yes. with Julie, your dog. Yes. Uh, sometimes I see you outside the White House. Yeah. You're in Congress. Give us a, a typical day for you, Danielle. So I'm not sure there is a typical day. I can take you through my three versions. Um, right now we're in recess. So um, I'm usually home during recess working with Julie. So we lo- we all log on 8.45. News and Observer has a meeting that we all come into. We talk about what we're going to do for the day. My day starts after that around 9, and we just plug away at whatever stories we have. If I have a capital day, I usually do that meeting and then drive over to the Capitol. It's usually 10 to 15 minutes, mm-hmm. hopefully. Sometimes it's an hour, depending on traffic. Right. Yeah, so I go to the Capitol. I have, like I said, I work on the third floor. I'm chasing senators, I'm chasing House members, writing stories, talking to my bosses. And then one Monday a month, I'm supposed to be at the White House. So I like I'm in a White House rotation with McClatchy. And when I do that, I just go to the press briefing. Unless there's something North Carolina centric and then the White House asks me to come over for the North Carolina stuff. But um, I go to the 
press briefing, it's usually somewhere between 12 and 3, hopefully. They're always delayed. Sometimes I ask questions. Sometimes I'm just filling the seat. And then sometimes I will see you filing a story about something happening here in Raleigh. I think I reached out to you a couple weeks ago. I said, hey, are you in Raleigh? And you said, no, I'm covering this through a video feed. I don't remember what that was, but I totally remember you reaching out. We were short staffed that day. And so like, I will absolutely pitch in on North Carolina news when I need to. So there was some live feed that I was like, hey, I got this for you. Like, let me go ahead and just watch. I think it was a protest or something. Was. Yeah. I don't remember what it was. So yeah, I will, if I know that we're short staffed or something or they need something done, I will absolutely pitch in down here. To kind of go off of your Twitter presence, we both follow you and see what you're doing. What, what do you do outside of reporting? Nothing. <laughs> uh, no, I'm just kidding. Um, I do report a lot. I know you guys know I have a health condition, so that makes me have to rest a lot on the weekends. Yeah, um, I was thinking about that when you were like running up and downstairs. I was like, that does not seem like it would be great. It's for not pots. fun. It's not fun at all. Yeah. And we want to talk about okay. that. Yeah, I'll come back to it. Yeah. Um, but uh, I often go see my family. I love my parents. My parents are like my best friends in the world. So I'm traveling. They moved ironically six months before I moved back they moved to the mountains so they're now two hours away so I'll go see them some weekends um my sister's like five minutes away so we'll go together so I feel like I'm either with my family or I'm passed out on my bed on the weekends recovering from work (laughs) okay yeah we want to talk about that before before we do from going to a kid who is upset about full house being preempted by (laughs) OJ chases yeah It sounds like you do have a love for politics now. I fell in love with politics. What do you love about it? Um, well, again, it's like what shapes our country, right? Like everything that happens in our lives is somehow entwined in politics. And I think if you're like me and you're mad that you can't watch Mary Kay and Ashley, you're probably not paying attention to politics. Right. And so it takes somebody like me to follow it for you and, you know, explain what's actually happening that's affecting your world. And I think that's really important. And, you know, they're fun people to cover. They can be frustrating people to cover. They know that. They say the same thing about us covering them. We're fun and frustrating. So I don't know. I just fell in love with just all of it. I think, you know, it's a piece of history that you're watching unfold in real time. I'm very oddly in the January 6th report. I'm Mm. teeny tiny but I'm in there. Really? Uh, so I'm Are you gonna... storming the Capitol? No. <laughs> <laughs> no, I was behind Cassidy Hutchinson testifying. <laughs> nice. Yeah. All right. Congressman Jackson, Jeff Jackson, he posted a video on TikTok a few weeks ago. Got a lot of attention. He said that he has found, since taking office in January, that some members of Congress, when the cameras are rolling, they are a different person than when the cameras aren't rolling. And it leads me to this question about our delegation. Are they different than their persona out there that we know? Well, you have to remember, I am the camera, even okay. though I'm not a camera. So I also see the like out there side. But, um, you know, I've also talked about to you specifically about certain politicians that I know I'm going to protect the innocent and guilty here. <laughs> um, you do get to know them on a different level. And I think some people that North Carolina sees as completely evil and hard are nicer in real life than people realize. And I think some people who are saints 
are worse than people realize. People are people. Mm-hmm. And I don't think any one person is as black and white as we think they are yeah. or see. I mean, when you go home at night, you're not what you're presenting to everyone else, right? So, <laughs> I mean, not you. <laughs> We talk on this microphone all day to each other, just like this. Right? Do you do it at night when you're home, when you're about to go to bed? Usually FaceTimes me. You do politics better, Sky, every night. It would not surprise me if he did. With all this running around, this like really busy schedule that you maintain, it must be really hard with an autoimmune disease. Can you talk about that a little bit? Yeah. And I will go back and say, technically, they have not classified it as autoimmune, but it's very much in the people wonder. So I have POTS, which is postural orthostatic tachycardia. I hate the name so much. You have no idea how many drug jokes I get when I tell people my illness. But it's basically, there's two different things going on. So I have incredibly low blood pressure and my blood is uh, reacting to gravity. So my blood stays in my legs. I don't have enough of a heartbeat, which is weird to say. I don't have enough of a heartbeat or blood circulation to move it back up to my brain. So it's also affecting my autonomic nervous system. That's hard to say fast. Mm. So everything your body's doing automatically that you're not thinking about, mine actually struggles to do, Mm. which I don't realize is happening, but apparently my body realizes it's happening. So I'm high energy and I realize that, but like the energy it takes to just live is a lot. So like when I get to the end of the day, especially if I'm at the Capitol, I am dead to the world. Mm. And I think I put on a good front. My parents tell me I put it on a good front that people don't realize how painful and bad it actually is for me. But yeah, when I'm like when I get to Saturday, I have to take at least one day of the weekend to just recuperate or I can't function the rest of the week. So it's like a lot of a lot of migraines, a lot of pins and needles in my arms and legs. I could faint standing up too long, which doesn't happen often think goodness it always happens at work for some reason Mm -hmm. (laughs) usually in front of paramedics which is really great timing Mm -hmm. but yeah it's it's a lot more difficult than I think I let on to but I'm also incredibly blessed because I have a very um I'm like high functioning with it there are people that are bedridden there are people that are in wheelchairs I could potentially get there but like I haven't seen signs of it moving that way like I'll have episodes where it's really really bad and I'm like oh no it's happening like I'm gonna be that person but um they usually pull through. It's a lot, though. Is there a cure? No. Okay. I'm on like 20 medications a day trying to be able to uh, stand up, basically. Yeah. This is the biggest problem is standing up and not fainting. That's what we are all struggling with that has this. I'm so blessed Duke has a clinic that specializes in this. The very interesting thing is that when COVID hit, a lot of COVID people ended up with POTS, which was known that like viruses tend to bring out POTS. They don't know how I got mine. They, there's like no link to how I developed it. So 2011 is when you were diagnosed? I was diagnosed. I started passing out in 2009. Okay. And we thought it was high stress, which is a long story uh, that your readers won't care about or listeners won't care about. <laughs> uh, actually, they probably would, but it's a long story. Um They thought it was high stress, and so we kind of just let it go. And then when I started at the Reedsville Review, I was covering sheriffs graduating, and I almost fainted. I was interviewing a paramedic. He was noticing a vein, like, bulging out of my forehead, 
And I was like, I don't feel well. I need to sit down. He slapped a blood pressure cuff on me and I was 54 over 36. And he's like, I'm taking you in the hospital. Yeah. Like we're not messing with this. That was the first sign. Like something's not right with your body. It's not stress. And we need to figure this out. So it was like tons and tons of tests from there. You work in a profession where the end of the day isn't always very (laughs) clear or the end of the week for that matter. How do you deal with that? Uh, Carefully. No, I don't know. So we don't work set hours. And I will say I'm usually Monday through Friday. Some things will pop up. But it is hard because being on a structured schedule helps with like medication, water intake, food intake. I can't make that work in my everyday life. Doctors have asked me to quit my job early on. They're not asking me that now. And I was like, no, you're a doctor. Figure out how to make my life fit into this illness. And I think we've done a good job of balancing it. But it is a balancing act you have to figure out. Back to your job. What's a story that you worked on that like maybe you're most proud of? I think two stand out for me. um, And I don't think people who've followed my career will be surprised. I did an eight-part series on a homicide in Rockingham County. It's called A Scream in the Dark. You can find it on greensboro.com. That was so much work. Grew a lot of relationships out of it. Still really fascinated by the story. I don't think we're done telling it. And then um, I think people know it by the name Wife Swap. I'm not sure that was the best name to give it. I didn't even realize what that actually meant when we started calling it that. (laughs) But there were two district attorneys, one in Rockingham County and one in Person Caswell County that had switched jobs or had their wives switch jobs And they were paying them to not work. So they were basically embezzling from the state. Both of them ended up in jail. Both of those taught me so much about reporting, so much about getting public records that you wouldn't think of and thinking outside the box. Um, Wife Swap specifically, we had to think so far outside the box to get this because we knew the SBI was investigating it. Nobody was talking about what was happening. SBI investigations are not public record. And so like it died with the SBI A judge was supposed to take it up. He tried to pass it, I think, to maybe the AG's office, but it just completely died at that point. And like, where do you go? Like, how do you as a reporter get that? And so we started asking like, hey, can we have the card swipes from the courthouse? Like these women should be like swiping their cards every time they go into the courthouse. So it would help us see if they're actually working. And one of them swiped. The other one never did. And she had more card swipes access than the other one so we like started putting together at least one of them's not working both of them ended up having to quit their jobs they ended up having to plead well one pled guilty the other one ended up in jail um it was very interesting i learned so much about journalism from both those stories do you enjoy more of the putting the puzzle together than the writing or is it something that you see married together so i think I like interviews better than writing. Okay. I, I was not a strong writer when I started. I think I've gotten better. Jordan, my boss, tells me I've gotten better. Okay. And I like the writing process, but just talking to people and, and learning from other people, like that's my jam. That's what I love. So I love learning people's stories. I think it's amazing. Yeah. And, and having people open up to you about things they don't, like, you know, I'm usually there on the worst days of people's life especially when you're covering crime like nobody wants to talk to you then and so like being able to get them to open up and talk to you like that's a privilege and I understand that and I appreciate it so like I enjoy that aspect of it and covering politics it may not be the worst day of their life it may not be (laughs) could be crime it may be uh, one way or another but in covering it I have seen it just as watching the media work in the general assembly 
and I think, man, you're running from this reporter. She's going to get you, or he's going to get you if you're running. It seems like a common mistake out there. I mean, what, what's that fine line between just opening up to the reporter and just saying, yeah, here, here's the news. We're running from you. You have advice out there? He's for asking fi- for himself. Yeah, it might be. <laughs> I mean, I think it's always better to talk, right? But like, that's the advice any reporter is going to give you. Like, sure. please talk to me. I would love to talk to you. Um, Sound like a cop. <laughs> please talk. It's in your best interest to speak to me now. I would say, you know, I understand the days that people don't want to talk to me. Like, I totally get why people don't want to talk to me. But I also don't think you want me digging. You know, I talked to a political consultant recently who said, you've come to me before with things that I'm like, oh, I wish she hadn't found that. But I'd rather be upfront with you and tell you the story and have it reported accurately than try to hide it and have you digging. And then at the same time, I've come to him with stories that just weren't based on fact, but like people had told me and he's like, no, that's wrong. And I'm like, oh, okay, thanks for filling me in, giving me the documents prove it, appreciate that. And we go our merry way. And that saves me so much time. It saves you so much heartache. Um, so, you know, that's good. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So for the magic wand question, you have to know this is coming. <laughs> if you could fix one thing in our politics today, policy, politics, or otherwise, what would it be? Listening to each other. I think right now in society, we so easily will have a point of view in politics and stick with that no matter what and not listen to the other side like even hear them out it's not even like come around to their side but just listening to them I think just having a conversation with somebody can go a long way in getting people to respect each other do you see that behind the scenes with our delegation I think it happens more with our delegation than even I realize just when I'm talking to them I'm like oh you guys are friends I had no idea mm-hmm. I won't say like names but there are two that everybody thinks is at war they're not right <laughs> I think sometimes they are, but like they're not. There was a social media post recently of all the district directors of our delegation. They got together for lunch. I missed that. Yeah, they took a photograph. Why wasn't I invited? I know. It, it, looked, it looked great. It looked like they were all enjoying each yeah. other's company. And it got me thinking, like, wait, do they all work together on things? Do all 16 directors of our delegation get together and actually have lunch and have conversation? I mean, there's only 16 of them, right? Yeah. Like, it would be hard to hide from 16 people. <laughs> <laughs> like, you gotta get along sometimes. Yeah. And they like, ha- yeah. I know which one makes people crazy. Who's that? I'm not gonna say. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> I, like, you know, every now and then there's one, and it's been through several delegations, there's one, it's different ones that, you know, they're not happy with but they come around to each other just depends on the day because you can't hide from 16 people (laughs) yeah i guess you're right well danielle battaglia we appreciate everything you're doing in north carolina politics your coverage of north carolina politics you certainly know how to do journalism better and we appreciate you being on the podcast today thanks for having me the do politics better podcast is sponsored by the north carolina beer and wine wholesalers association Beer and wine distributors in North Carolina are family-owned companies that directly employ more than 5,600 men and women across the state. The North Carolina Beer and Wine Wholesalers Association works with the General Assembly to develop alcohol policies that ensure fairness in a competitive marketplace and promote responsible behavior. Visit the North Carolina Beer and Wine Wholesalers Association at ncbeerwine.com for 
more information. As a journalist, Danielle has this bird's eye view of what is going on, not only here in the state, which she covers from time to time, but also at the U.S. Capitol. I love following her Twitter. She's on the Dome podcast over at the News and Observer. And to get her insight, especially on Twitter, Twitter, she does such a good job of giving you an insight into her job and the way she interacts with legislators and covers the news. We really appreciate her spending time with us and talking about her trade and her craft as a journalist. Thank you, Danielle, for being on the podcast. Tweet of the Week. The Tweet of the Week is sponsored by the North Carolina Pork Council, representing hog farmers around the state working hard to do agriculture better. Today, hog farms are reducing their carbon footprint by covering lagoons, reducing emissions, and generating renewable natural gas. To learn more, visit ncpork.org. This week's Tweet of the Week is from Mike Golick Jr. He's a sports broadcaster. He's at Mike Golick Jr. on Twitter. And it comes from the North Carolina-South Carolina football game last weekend. It was college game day in Charlotte, and we saw a lot of Carolina men (laughs) and women. And it says, man, college dudes in the Carolinas love polos. Somebody responded and said, college dudes, post-grad, father, grandfather, if there's a male within 200 miles of the coast, he owns 10 polos. <laughs> yeah, it's the uniform of the southern dude. You got that little Walmart getup you do with your navy polo that you like to wear with mm-hmm. your khakis. Yeah, nothing like a navy polo with khakis. That is the classic uniform right there. Yeah. I had to buy a pullover this weekend. Had a golf game with my friend Eugene. We had an early morning golf game at the Wilmington Municipal Course, which is a great city-owned course. I called him up Sunday morning. I was like, man, I packed my clubs, my shoes, but I did not bring a collared shirt. And, you know, you're supposed to wear a collared shirt on the golf course. And he's like, well, man, you know, he wears like an XXL or something like that. So I stopped at this little shop. Wow, calling him fat. (laughs) He's a tall guy. Sorry, Eugene. (laughs) He's a tall Jeez, we don't fat shame in this house. No, I didn't mean it that way. No, Gino, man, he, he, he looks good. He's fine. So I stopped at this place as I was leaving the island, and they sell a lot of Tommy Bahama. We've talked about Tommy Bahama. Mm-hmm. What would you say? Nothing says you're the dad on the vacation <laughs> like a Tommy Bahama. Well, you go in there, and, and I said, hey, I need a pullover shirt. She looks right over there. So I go. I pick it up. It's like $118 for it. And you were like, for a guy with the beach house, that's nothing, honey. <laughs> no, I, was, I took it up there and I was like, can you take all the tags off? Because I don't want anyone. Did throw you, those did tags you away. Did change right there? Uh, in the car. Oh. I changed in the car. But I was like, I throw those tags away. I do not want anyone to know how much I paid for this shirt. This leads me to my next question, which is, why didn't you ask your best friend forever, Jake? <laughs> who lives on the same street as you for a polo. I don't think Jake wears... You guys aren't on sharing closet No, not yet. We spent a lot of time together this weekend. We surfed a lot. I was unable to surf with him on Sunday morning because I had to go to this golf game. And I was kind of embarrassed to tell Jake I was going to play golf because Jake, while we are the same age, Jake is like the coolest guy ever, right? So he wears the baseball cap, but he doesn't break break the brim. 
it's straight, you know, like the young folks. Young folks. He's got some tattoos. Oh, Brian. <laughs> when he's not surfing, he's wearing surfing clothes mm-hmm. and flip-flops. I didn't want like, hey, Jake. Uh, oh, but, he's a flip-flop guy. I thought you were against that. Um, no, nah, I mean, you know, I'm not, I'm a flip-flop guy. If Jake's doing it, it's okay. <laughs> You know, he could pull it off unlike those other guys. <laughs> but I didn't want to be like, hey, Jake, I can't surf with you this morning. By the way, do you have a pullover in your closet that I could wear to a golf game? You know, so. It's, you know, why do you keep saying golf game? Well, what, do I, what I'm am I supposed to? I'm playing golf today. I'm playing golf. Maybe I was a little. I don't I'm know. a golf player. Golfer. I'm a golfer. I'm really not a golf. By the way, I only played hey, nine Jake, holes. I'm sort of a polo and golf guy. You seem more like a surfboard and flip-flops guy. But I think together we could be great guys. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I did surf with Jake later that afternoon. So I, we were supposed to play 18 holes and I was so bad. Like my first shot off the tee, I took three mulligans and none of them were any good. So I ended up just playing nine holes. Plus, it was a packed golf course. I was just like, I'm out of here. I'm going to go. Gino, I love playing golf with you, brother. But I'm going to go surf with Jake. Wow. Yeah. But I got together with Gino later. By the way, Eugene, I call him Gino. We got together later and hung out. So Did you cross them? Uh, you know, mix the, your I, friendships? I, I introduced them. And, uh, cause Eugene has a house there too. He does. He was stay. he had to stay at our house Sunday cause his place was being rented out and he couldn't get in until Monday. But yeah, we talked to Jake and, uh, Gino doesn't surf. Gino's all about wow. golf. Jake surfs and Sorry, he's not Eugene, about golf. You just golf. got knocked down a ladder. <laughs> uh, Gino's my boy. Gino's my ride or die. Mm. Be sure to tell him I used that he wears an extra, extra, extra large. <laughs> that was a little mean. <laughs> the thing I love about my buddy Gino, I used to call him my mentor because uh, we're always trying to lose weight. You uh-huh. know, we're on perpetual diets. But my man Gino loves to, he just gives you permission to break your diet. So he'll he'll go on like 48-hour fast too. But before he starts his 48-hour fast, he's going to go to the donut shop and get a dozen donuts to prepare for the fast. Like, I'm into Gino. Good guy. We got to bring up the fact that we're recording the podcast on Thursday, September 7th. That's a big day around here because it is your birthday. It is my birthday. Happy birthday. Yeah, thanks for giving me a little shout out on Twitter. Oh, you didn't. (laughs) I'm sorry. Did I even tweet today? I think I just tweeted the promo. Yeah. Uh, How has your birthday (laughs) been? It's been fine. Had a bar association meeting. Pretty exciting stuff. Yeah, that's good. Yeah, it lasted an hour and 20 minutes. (laughs) So I walk into the office from my trip to Greensboro this morning, and you were on the phone with your dad. Yeah. You've been getting calls all day. delighted to hear from you. I know. I said, hey, Philip, you know. He said, who is that? Who is that? And then I said, (laughs) you know, I'm all happy. It's Brian. (laughs) He goes, oh. It's Brian. It's your friend Brian. (laughs) Do you like me today? Yeah. yeah your, your dad can be a little moody sometimes. <laughs> he wasn't, though. He's in a great mood. Okay. He just said, well, Ryan's there now, and 
I have two people I need to call back, so I should probably go. Yeah, birthdays, you know, when you're older, it's about getting telephone calls, text messages, Facebook message. Of course, you're not on Facebook, Twitter. By the way, I will mention you on Twitter today. I was just kidding. Changes a lot from when we were kids. Doesn't it? Well, I heard about a birthday that you had <laughs> when you were a kid. I don't think you're having that birthday today, but there was a theme to it. I was really, so I went through a phase. <laughs> it seems like it's a phase you're going through right now. <laughs> okay. <laughs> All right. I, was in, I was in junior high, but I was obsessed with the Beach Boys. <laughs> and you seem to be obsessed with boys at the beach. <laughs> so very similar (laughs) so i had a beach boys themed birthday party you know in my backyard in the midwest okay and you we only we had speakers on our back porch when i was growing up and so we only played beach boys music i had a lot of beach boys cds just really into it and yeah that was a good birthday so I'm doing the math here. We're talking 2002, 2003. You're listening to Beach Boys music from, I assume, the 60s. We're talking grandma's favorite rock and roll <laughs> band here, and you decide to do that? You got a problem with it? <laughs> <laughs> what point are you trying to make here? Yeah, okay. You were in, I've said it before on this podcast. It's worth saying again. You're an old soul. Yeah. Do you still listen to the Beach Boys? Not a lot, but I just went through some different phases as and a kid, <laughs> as, as any kid does. <laughs> okay. All right. But birthdays today are a little more staid. Yeah. No themed parties. No, no real parties at all. So when we were talking about this at lunch today, I asked you about like a memorable birthday. And this was an odd but very Brian story. In the fourth grade, I had a teacher by the name of Miss Chris Schumacher. We have to give her full name, okay? <laughs> mm-hmm. Well, I'm giving the full name out there because I've been looking for Miss Schumacher for the last 40 years of my life. In the fourth grade, she had such an impression on me. Does she have a protective order against you? <laughs> Took an interest in me as a writer. In fact, I was a reporter on our elementary school newspaper. I just loved Miss Schumacher. Love of writing and reading really started with her. I just adored her. And she was a young teacher, maybe one or two years out of college, and oh, so beautiful. Like, in my mind, I can't really remember exactly what she looked like, but if I close my eyes, I see Farrah Fawcett. That's how she looked to me, so pretty. And when I left the fourth grade, going into the fifth grade, my birthday is in August, So as I was going into the fifth grade, my mom said, we're going to go over to a friend's house. They have a pool at their apartment complex. You can invite a couple friends. I'm going to have a cake there. And what do you want for your birthday? And I said, I would love for Miss Schumacher to come to my birthday party this year. And knowing that that was probably not going to happen, she's on summer break. So we go to the party and I'm having a great time hanging out with my friends and Guess who walks into the apartment pool complex? Miss Chris Schumacher. Yeah, this doesn't sound inappropriate. No, not inappropriate. Wearing her cutoff jeans and has a bathing suit on. I'm just like, wow, this is great. And she gave me the best present. Not only was I like just near tears to see her, but she gave me the set of books. 
like mm-hmm. had Charlie and the Chocolate Factory, Little House in the Big Woods, The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, and they were a matching set. I remember they were blue and gold, and I don't know if they were leather, but they were certainly that cardboard, you know, the hardback, mm-hmm. and I read them all, and I thanked her. The most memorable birthday present I ever had was that present that my mother arranged for me with Miss Schumacher. But I've had great birthdays since. Don't get me wrong. I love birthdays and I love all the attention I get. (laughs) We know. (laughs) I thought you were just about to say, and I love me. (laughs) No. (laughs) If I'm thinking of who I love the most, it's me and then Miss Schumacher. No, but you know, birthdays have changed a lot since, uh, definitely since I was a kid. You know I love birthdays. Yeah. But you don't go over the top with birthdays. Well, I do. With like, I like gifts. But as far as like big throwdown parties, right? No, I'm, I'm not a fan of a party. It seems like it's an obligation for everyone to come hang out with you. That's weird to me. Yeah. Now we have birthdays for one-year-olds that are these huge affairs. I've been to some birthdays for one-year-olds that they must spend thousands of dollars on this kid who has no memory whatsoever. And they get the smash cake. You know, my wife makes a lot of cakes on the side. She's so talented. They're so good. And then she has to make a smash cake for the one-year-old. It's just like, you're paying my wife to make you this great cake. And then she's kid's just gonna smash it it brings me to my next point of other things i'm opposed to okay that i feel is going to be an opinion that people aren't gonna like gender reveal parties stop it please what is going on with this why do we have to do that i don't want to attend your party where we say oh do you think it's a boy or a girl (laughs) i don't know those are the options one will be right and and guess what your doctor already knows and they they could just tell you in the room you don't have to share it with a hundred of your closest friends and family they'll find out there's gonna be a baby shower and they're getting out of hand right crazy I mean, some of the stuff, people are going to blow a hand off with what they'll ignite. We need to stop it. People stop doing this. And then you have to have a party around it. Yeah, it's a whole thing. Then you post it on social media. I'm such a fan of keep it to yourself. (laughs) (laughs) If you look or you're thinking about posting something and you think, if somebody else posted this, what would I think? Mm -hmm. And you think, this is a little stupid. Then keep it to yourself. (laughs) Well, I do wish you a happy birthday. Thank you. Yeah, I hope it's great and uh, hope all your wishes come true. I will be opening your gift today. Yay. I hope it's a good I'm not a good gift You're giver. You're a terrible gift giver. Let's just be real with each other. I did put some thought into this. I did do something that you told me that you do this year. Oh, so it's going to be like a from the heart gift. No. Oh. I I heard you say something. So you wrote it down. I wrote it down, and I I said she mentioned it. And it wasn't a definitive mention. It was just something you mentioned in a favorable way. And I said, we're going to try that this year. Yeah, I tried to tell you. Like, I I just keep lists for everybody. Things they like, things they don't like. It's helpful. So we'll see in, I guess, an hour or so whether it was worth it. TBD. We'll talk to you next week about whether or not there is a budget, what's in that budget, if there is one, if not, what the heck we're going to be doing next, and much more. We'll talk to you then. Until then, please remember to do politics better.